I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 29 in the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels. In this episode, I begin with the first of seven episodes focused on the I Am declarations, which are unique to the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. The first incident is Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob. At the end of the episode, I will point out where verses in this discussion are used in the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of John, Annotated and Illustrated. One of the missions of the Anglican Internet Church is to provide insight for Western Church Christians into the unique teachings of the Eastern Church and to express those interpretations in Western Church language. None of these interpretations is more important for understanding Scripture than the I Am declarations. I Am comes from the New Testament Greek words ego imi, here using the most common modern Greek pronunciation. After the introduction, I will use only the English translation, I am, which in printed material follows the Book of Common Prayer style of all small capital letters, which indicate a reference to a name or title of God. In the typeface used in most of the slides, Small caps are not available, so I have added the words in Adobe Castlon so that you can see the difference. While John titled his vision of the future revelation, in fact his unique gospel is itself an exercise in the revelation to the world of his own time concerning the divine nature and identity of Jesus Christ as the same I am who spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. The illustration, Christ Pantocrata, is a temperer and guilt-on-panel icon, the oldest known icon of Jesus Christ, which was made for the monastery of St. Catherine in Sinai in the 6th century under the sponsorship of the Byzantine emperor Justinian. In the Western Church, especially among those who do not understand the Greek idiom of the first century, the phrase, except for John 8.58, is almost always translated as I was or it is I. Some modern Western teachers contend that it is the equivalent of saying I twice, the latter being a demonstration of a lack of comprehension of Greek idiom. Such an interpretation assumes that John did not understand what Jesus said. I believe, along with the Eastern Church scholars, theologians, and priests, that Jesus said exactly what he meant to say, and further, that he knew the effect it would have upon his listeners, and finally, that St. John faithfully wrote down those words. I believe it is important to see the use of this quite special phrase in the context of Old Testament Scripture. As I explain in Episode 1 in the companion Bible study video series Revelation and in the bookstore publication Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, St. John was knowledgeable about the first century understanding of the Hebrew Old Testament. 
Many in the Western church tradition are not aware that the Hebrew originals of the Old Testament had been lost by St. John's time and that most Jews in the Holy Land knew the Old Testament only from the Greek Septuagint translation. The Septuagint was prepared around 350 years before Christ during the reign of the Ptolemies in Egypt after Alexander's conquest of Egypt. The illustration, John holding his gospel, is a miniature illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the Siegberg lectionary made for the Benedictine Monastery of St. Michael, Siegberg, Germany, in the Diocese of Cologne in the second quarter of the 12th century from Manuscript Harley, 2889, Folio 3, British Library, London, England. The Cologne region was a center of the modern Holy Roman Empire revived by Charlemagne in 800 A.D. Fundamental to understanding the meaning of ego imi, or I am in English, in Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, a dialogue between Moses and God on Mount Sinai. I have taken the text from the SAAS translation of Exodus 3 from the Orthodox Study Bible in the edition published in 2008 AD. Here Moses at the burning bush is speaking with the disembodied voice who in Exodus 3, 6 called himself, quote, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When I go to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Then God said to Moses, I am the existing one. He also said, This you shall say to the children of Israel, The existing one sent me to you. The illustration, Moses receiving the commandments, is a circa 940 A.D. Byzantine-style miniature illumination from the Bible of Patrice Leon, or officially the Codex Reginensis Graecus I, in the Vatican Library, Rome, Italy. The work likely came from the same scriptorium in which many other illuminated Bibles were produced for the Ottonian dynasty of German-Saxon Holy Roman emperors, successors to the throne of Charlemagne in the 10th and 11th centuries. In Hebrew, the same phrase is aye asher aye. Eastern Orthodox icons of Christ often display the Greek equivalent of that Hebrew title in three letters above and beside the image of Christ, and you can see the enlarged detail of the halo in the Orthodox icon of Christ the Good Shepherd. Omega is above with its symbol, Omicron left with its symbol, and Nu with its symbol. The Hebrew phrase can also be translated as, more simply, he who is. In the Eastern Orthodox liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, the AIC's patron saint, the influence of Genesis 3.14 is clear. God is called, quote, ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, 
ever existing and eternally the same. The icon is a reproduction available from www.skate.com as icon number J75, and it comes from my personal icon collection. Over the course of seven episodes, I will discuss 13 examples of the I Am declarations in St. John's Gospel based upon the Greek text found in George Ricker Berry's book, Greek to English Interlinear, New Testament, using the New King James Version text. I will present each use in its full context in St. John's account, theories on why the phrase was used, and how carefully Jesus chose the audiences to whom he addressed the I Am declarations. The first example occurs early in St. John's Gospel in Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob, recounted in John 4, verses 5 to 26. The well of Jacob is also known as the well of Sichar, which is its name, the name of its actual location at the foot of Mount Gerusalem. This encounter is not usually considered as an I am declaration because many translations register the original Greek in the closing verse only in modern English usage. More on that later in the discussion and illustration of verse 26. The illustration is a detail from a map of the Holy Land at the time of the Gospels and Acts from my family Bible. The importance of Samaritans as the only ones who did the right thing is often overlooked, especially in the Western Church tradition. In this series, this is the third example of a Samaritan taking the right course. The other two examples are from the Gospel of St. Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, discussed and illustrated in episode 17, and the healing of the ten lepers in Luke 17, verses 11 to 17, discussed and illustrated in episode 20, in which the Samaritan was the only one of the ten healed lepers who returned to glorify God. There is a separate discussion of Samaria, Samaritans, and numerology in the account of the Samaritan woman in episode 40. A little more context about the Samaritans may be helpful in understanding the spiritual meaning of the dialogue in this account between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Here are some points of agreement and points of conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. Samaria is the New Testament name for the region west of the River Jordan and southwest of the Sea of Galilee, and which was part of the northern kingdom of Israel, as shown on the illustration, a map of the Holy Land at the time of the Gospels and Acts. First, although the Samaritans were considered enemies by the Jews, they both worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the Samaritans, Mount Jerusalem was the holiest place in the world because it was where the blessing on the Hebrews for keeping the law was pronounced according to the instruction of Moses, 
and according to the Samaritans, where Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac. The Jews regarded Mount Zion, where Solomon built the first temple, as the holiest mountain. Samaritans honored Jacob, the last of the Hebrew trinity of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as their father. They considered Moses to be the last prophet. The hostility between the two groups was strong. Some historical facts may help to understand its origins. Samaritans accepted only the five books of Moses, or Pentateuch, as Holy Scripture. During the reign of Alexander the Great, in the early 4th century B.C., who conquered most of the known world at the time, the Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerusalem. That Samaritan temple was destroyed by the Jews around 128 B.C. While Samaritans believed that Moses was the last prophet, they also believed that a Messiah, or Redeemer, or Restorer, would come. The well at Sichar, at the foot of the mountain, is still preserved as a tourist site known as Jebel et Tor, and can be drunk from even in the 21st century. Many scholars believe that Sichar is the same place or near the same place as the ancient Hebrew village of Shechem, which thrived during the kingdom years around the 9th century B.C. In the illustration, Shechem is shown just west of the site of the well and the location of Sichar. At the point we enter the scene in John 4, verse 5, Jesus had left the region of Galilee and gone into Samaria. I have broken the account into several parts. In the first, verses 5 to 8, the time is the sixth hour, which means 12 noon. Only the Orthodox give the woman at the well a name, Photina, which means the enlightened one. The illustration is a Russian Orthodox icon of unknown date and location of Jesus with St. Photina. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. As St. John later points out in verse 27, the disciples upon their return were surprised to come upon Jesus speaking with a woman in public, whether a Samaritan or a Jew. Such an unchaperoned conversation was forbidden under the interpretation of the Pharisees. In this humble act, both in being thirsty and asking for a drink, Jesus demonstrates his humanity. In the continuation of the dialogue in verses 9 and 10, he will demonstrate his divinity. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is here acknowledging that while he knew all about her, she did not know his real identity. Had she known, he said, she would have asked for and received living water. When Jesus refers to living water, he does not mean literal water as from the well or a river or a stream, but the spiritual water that grants eternal life and which is delivered to Christians through the sacrament of baptism by the presence in them of the Holy Spirit. John had used a similar phrase in the river of life and tree of life, which flows from it in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5 and 8, shown in the illustration from an early 11th century illumination in temper and guilt on vellum from the Bamberg Apocalypse, as it was reproduced in our AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation, and was used in episode 28 in the Bible study video series of the same name. Clearly, being literal-minded, she was puzzled by his mysterious words. Here is St. John's account in 11 and 12. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? The illustration is an early 6th century Byzantine-style mosaic in the upper tier in the left wall of the Basilica of Santa Polonia Nuovo in Ravenna, Italy. Here she has demonstrated both her lack of spirituality and her respect for Jacob, who was revered by the Samaritan people when she said, Are you greater than our father Jacob? A similar question was asked by the Pharisees in another of the I Am declarations when the question arises, Are you greater than our father Abraham in John 8.53? which is discussed in episode 32 and episode 33. Jesus' answer to her question illustrates another characteristic of the Gospel of St. John, a mysterious sense of the importance of things spiritual above things literal, or, that is, things of the earthly rather than the heavenly realm. This becomes especially clear when Jesus refers to the fountain of living water as, quote, springing up into eternal life in verse 14b in the next exchange. In that exchange, in verses 13, 14, and 15, her words suggest that she may not yet be completely convinced of the truth of his promise of this mysterious living water. Jesus answered and said to her, "'Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again,' but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. 
In the dialogue in verses 16, 17, and 18, Jesus reveals his identity by his knowledge both of her present and her past. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The illustration is James Tissot's late 19th century watercolor interpretation of the encounter from the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. This woman who had had relationships with five men actually had never had a legal husband and seems to understand that she has sinned against the law. In the next exchange, in verses 19 and 20, she marvels at Jesus' ability to know these facts about her and her life, calling him a prophet. She refers also to the Samaritan practice of worship on Mount Gerusalem and acknowledges that the Jews honored Mount Sion, the mount on which Solomon built the temple. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus' answer to her in verses 21 through 24 has become one of the most quoted verses from the Gospel of St. John, at least in the Anglican tradition, where verse 23 is an opening sentence in morning prayer. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 21 concerning the location of worship contains the first suggestion in the New Testament that the place of worship will change no longer being bound to a particular place, whether Mount Jerusalem for the Samaritans or Mount Zion for the Jews. St. Augustine of Hippo was among the first to explain that Jesus' statement that salvation is of the Jews in verse 22b means that faith comes to the world through the Jewish religious tradition, which means that it is not just for the Jews but comes to all through him as the incarnate Son of God, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In verses 23 and 24, John reports Jesus' promise that change is coming soon, a new revelation concerning what theologians call the divine economy or plan, according to the Gospel of St. John, springing up from the desire of the Father himself. The phrase worship in spirit and truth means the faithful will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
and accept the truth of Jesus as the only begotten Son and the only path to everlasting life. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth also refers to the Holy Trinity. Only here in the Gospel of St. John does Jesus reveal that God is spirit. The word means that God has no corporeal body like mankind, his creation. This is another way of referring to the essence of God, which is demonstrated to mankind in his various energies shown in the Old Testament as, for example, in wind, fire, lightning, thunder, the pillar of fire, and the burning bush. In the final exchange in verses 25 and 26, the woman also acknowledges the Samaritan expectation of the coming of the Messiah, a Hebrew word which is expressed in Greek as Christ. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There is no Western Church translation of the Bible which renders this revelation in the I am format of the original Greek. In the illustration, which comes from page 250 of George Rickard Berry's Greek to English Interlinear New Testament King James Version, the actual words in Greek in literal form in the final lines are, I am he who am speaking to thee. By way of a post-quotation context, in the Eastern Church tradition, the Samaritan woman called St. Photina, was baptized as a Christian, relocated to Carthage in North Africa, where she evangelized with her two sons and five daughters. The whole family was martyred during the reign of Nero by being thrown down a well. The feast day of St. Photina is May 20th. The illustration, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman at the Well, is a temperer and guilt-on panel painting by Tuscan artist Duzio di Buonincena, painted in 1310-1311 A.D. for the Duomo, or Cathedral, in Siena, Italy, from the Museo Nacionale Tyson Bornemitsa, Madrid, Spain. Other AIC resources for topics discussed in this episode are from the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode 4 and St. Luke of 15, from the second series, St. Augustine or Augustine in the American idiom is the focus of episode 20. On the podcast homilies page are links to homilies for 13th Sunday after Trinity on the parable of the Good Samaritan and the 14th Sunday after Trinity on the healing of the ten lepers. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob is discussed in chapter 4. A special text box, I Am, in the Gospel of John, is found at the end of chapter 8 on page 83. From Layman's Lexicon, 
words and phrases of interest are Abba, which is Aramaic for Father, commandments, energy slash energies of God, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, Light, Messiah, Pantocrator, Spirituality, Truth, and Worship. In Christian spirituality, an Anglican perspective, the central duality which underlies the first premise of Christian spirituality is explained in Part 1. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, the illumination river of life and tree of life is found on page 185. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, accessible using links at the top and the bottom of each page on the website. Entries usually include an illustration. The direct URL address for the blog is www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog spelled only in lowercase letters. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can register to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 29 Next time in episode 30, I will continue with more of the I Am declarations unique to the Gospel of St. John and to Revelation with two more examples, the calming words of Jesus to the disciples at sea in John 6, verses 15 to 21, and owing to its length and complexity, the first five verses of the I Am the Bread of Life declaration. The remainder of the verses, which, conclude, which include the fourth and fifth examples, I am the living bread and I am the light of life, will be read and discussed in episode 31. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.